Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start with a throwback. See how many of you actually recognize this little clip right here. September 8th, 1966, the first time that William Shatner spoke those words to introduce the first episode of Star Trek. Several captains after that, Picard and the like, opened their series of the new Star Treks. But we're not here to talk about those Star Treks. We're talking about the OG Star Trek, the original Star Trek, if you will, the star that led some very unlikely suspects that we're going to talk about here in a minute, some very unlikely suspects, that star led them to the Messiah, to the King. Uh, to Jesus, born in Bethlehem, that perfect gift from God to save his people, to save his creation from ourselves, from our sin, from our rebellion from that creator. Now, before Jesus entered the world, uh, the Bible says that, um, that the world was in darkness. And before we allow Jesus into our hearts, the Bible says that we are in darkness. And we just kind of walk around and bump into things and stumble around and don't really have a purpose, don't really have a direction. But when we discover who Jesus is and trust him and open our hearts to him, um, then every step we take until we take that giant leap to be within in, with him in heaven, our steps on this earth should be about seeking out this new life that Shatner talked about, that he said, boldly going where um, too few of God's people go or too few people on this earth really go, and, um, so to speak. It's, it's a never-ending journey, never-ending adventure. And we first see it in the Messiah's, or in, I'm sorry, in the Magi's first Star Trek. So again, happy, happy Epiphany to you all. This is the Sunday where we talk about uh, the three wise men, if you will, the three Magi, if you will. The day we celebrate um, them visiting uh, the recently newborn, or the newborn uh, king of the Jews, right? It's a story I'm thinking we're mostly acquainted with. Um, even if we just consider it a quaint bedtime story for kids. Um, but it's actually... This is what we do here. It's actually loaded with insightful and, and challenging and, and provocative truths that reveal what the gospel is all about. So we're going to use the story of the Magi to reveal what the gospel is all about. I mean, again, God doesn't put these narratives in there just for a good bedtime story. They make a great bedtime story, but he puts it in there for a reason, to reveal who he is and what his gospel is all about. But before we dig into all that, another thing I like to do here, or we like to do here, is separate fact from fiction, or separate um, um, tradition from theology. Because it, and it creeps into the, into the Christmas narrative, because um, we all know it really well, right? We all know the story really well. For example, we all know that um, it started before Jesus was born, started in Nazareth, right? Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. They've got to go down to Bethlehem because there's a census taking place. Everybody has to return to their hometown. So Mary and Joseph take a long trek that goes from Nazareth. They spend some time in Jerusalem, and then there's just six miles from Jerusalem is, is Bethlehem, right? So we all know that. So, okay, so quiz time. How did um, Mary get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? She maybe walked, maybe what? 
rode a donkey, right? So um, that's, what, that's our tradition. That's our thoughts. That's our thing. But would it surprise you that if I told you that, that her riding the donkey isn't actually in the Bible? It doesn't actually say those words that Mary rode a donkey, but it's part of our narrative. It's part of what we believe. Now, I point that one out because, A, it's, it's rather harmless. Whether she walked or rode a donkey, she probably rode a donkey. I hope she rode a donkey or something anyway. But whether or not she does that, it, but those kind of things creep into, again, into our, our narrative, into our theology. And again, I point that out with a, with a really minor idea here, but th- sometimes those can become bigger ideas and bigger deals. So, the, okay, so, okay. So now, again, that's just where it is. So, and then some of these things come in from our songs, right? The songs that we sing. Um, silent night, holy night, all is calm. This is talking about the birth of Jesus. You ever been around when a baby's being born? Would you use silent night as a way to describe that? All is calm? Mm, not, that's not what I wrote in my journal after we went through a couple of those, right? Or how about away in a manger? No crying he makes, right? There's probably a lot of animals around him. How would you like to have the first thing you see is a big cow face? Or in this case, this kid looking at this donkey here. All is not calm in that car right there, right? So... Anyway, some of that creeps in there. So I want to dispel some of these things that we have, uh, the story of the narrative of, of the Magi. I want to take care of some of that. I want to clean some of that up. And I want to, again, uh, present it as God presents his gospel to us, as he always does. So while we're reading these narratives, we should be reading the gospel and wondering, where's the gospel point in all of this? Okay, so another thing we talk about now, um, this has come popular in the last 10, 12 years maybe, is that we've started to realize and understand that the Magi weren't actually at the birth of Jesus. We have, you know, in our uh, nativity scenes, we have Mary and Joseph and maybe an angel. We have shepherds and sheep, and then we have the, the Magi there too. Well, the Magi weren't at, actually at, at that room. So there were other animals probably, and since it was a barn, it might, there might have been some cats around. So if, you're, if your nativity scene looks like this, then you're right on. There's got to be cats around, right? But if you're wise men... If your um, Magi are in your nativity scene right now, you might want to do what uh, my kids and I did a couple years ago and it just absolutely drove Barbara crazy. She's sitting around here someplace. It absolutely drove her crazy. We took the wise men and we moved them across the Alps to the east. And we said, okay, they're not there yet. And then every so often, we'd move them a little bit closer, a little bit closer, and a little bit closer. And we said, well, we've got to leave the nativity scene up a lot longer because it's going to take them a while to get over there. So that's, you know, I'm the spiritual leader of the house. And if you get the kids involved with things like that, it's pretty easy to do just to drive the, the mom crazy. That's what we do. So, okay. Actually, and now you might be wondering, where do we get that idea that the Magi weren't at the, at the scene when Jesus was born with the shepherds and things like that? And there's some things that come straight out, and this is why we look at words in the Bible. This is why we study it. This is why we, we, we uh, work over it. If you look at verse 11, Matthew 2, verse 11, I just want to show you this. And this is how my mind works, and this is, you know, you just peek behind the curtain, but don't mess up anything if you're in there, okay, if you're in my mind here. The wise men came to the house where the child was with his mother Mary. Uh, they bowed down and worshipped him. We're going to talk about this verse again in a second here. Bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened up the boxes, um, the gifts they had brought him. They gave him treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, so the word house, that's the Greek word oikos. And the word oikos in Greek uh, means house. It means, it means a house. So they're no longer wherever they were, wherever Jesus was born. Now they're in a house. They're in a dwelling. Okay, but more to the point, though, where the child, check out that word child, was born. This is the, uh, the Greek word 
for um, an, not an infant, not a newborn. This is a little boy or a little girl or a child. Now, we kind of have that in the English language. Sometimes we say newborn, but that's not really. We just say baby, right? And then baby can be, you know, very um, nondescript. But in Greek, it's very descript. Um, so this word, as opposed to uh, what we see in Luke 2, 12, for example, uh, it says, this is how you know him. This is the angels talking to the shepherds out in the field. Uh, this is how you'll know him. You'll find a baby. Check that out. Baby. Now that is newborn, wrapped in pieces of cloth and lying in a few bucks. Completely different words. So the child that the, that the Magi are talking about is way different than the baby that they're talking about in Luke 2. And again, we kind of have that in English. Um, Japanese absolutely has that. A, a Japanese, for a newborn baby, they have a word that they use called, it's uh, akachan. Literally means red baby. So, I mean, newborns, that we're, ta- we're, we're talking about. So we stop using the word akachan in Japanese. We know that that baby is a little bit older. The same way it works here in the Greek. So we know that Jesus was a little bit older um, than, than uh, a newborn infant. Somewhere between um, one and two. And I know that's kind of nondescript, but you get the idea. Additionally, we say that there were three wise men, or three magi, um, as they say, and I'm, I'm, I'm completely transparent here. The Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were. I think everybody kind of has that by now. You know, that, again, that theology started to come back in about 10, 15 years ago. We started to understand that. Not that it's a big deal one way or the other, but we get three because there's three gifts. But I said, you know, my kids must have eight parents then because there's a whole lot of presents under that tree. There's not one gift from every parent. So, you know, there's a lot of things going on. So it's going to be more of, of, a, of a throng. There's going to be way more than, than three people. Even if it only is three magi that came across, there's going to be way more than three people in this whole, in this whole thing. Um, I've got a picture here that might depict what it probably looked like. A lot of times, and you know, there are horses too. It's more likely that they were riding horses, but that's neither here nor there either. But you see the long line of people uh, and things behind them, the, the caravan behind them. There's no way three dudes would have been making that journey all the way from Babylon, all the way into Jerusalem by themselves, especially carrying this kind of value. Uh, they would have been uh, robbed uh, in a heartbeat, right? So they've got this entourage coming through. Plus, it's going to take a while to get from point A to point B. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So they've got servants. They've got people setting up tents. They've got people cooking. They probably have some of their family with them. They've probably got more animals with them. We could show the picture of the, of the donkey again real quick if you want to see the animals again. But we, so there's a lot going on here. It's not three dudes riding into town on a camel, right? So we've got to, we just kind of get that going. And it says, you know, the, the scripture says that it upset the entire uh, city of, of Jerusalem, which is a big city. Three dudes riding in on a camel aren't going to upset much of anything or even be noticed. But, so, but an entourage like this or a caravan like this is going to be noticed and it's going to turn some heads and get people wondering. Okay, so now, where are we? Who are these guys anyway? Who are these magi? Um, I was talking to Nathan beforehand and it kind of came to my head. Um, magi, the word is it's, uh, where we get our word magistrate from. Right? And it's actually a Hebrew word. You don't see many Hebrew words creeping into the New Testament, but this one's straight up a Hebrew word because we didn't have another word to translate for it. So who are they? Um, when you look at the Greek definition, the Hebrew definition, they are astronomers. They are scholars. These guys know what's going on, and they're probably rather good at it. Uh, but how did they come together with this whole new star thing, this king connection thing? How did they see a new star in the east? East? In the east? East, thank you. In the east, <laughs> just pointing randomly, in the east, right? How did they connect that with the Messiah being born? Okay, so they're in Babylon, right? They're in Babylon because they came from the east, most likely the Babylon area. 
Um, and there was a lot going on in that area. Um, so uh, I'll talk about why we believe they were there in a while. But um, that's where uh, the, the Israelites were exiled to. Guys like Daniel that we talked about here a couple weeks before Christmas, Daniel was exiled to Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were exiled to Babylon. Okay, why does that make a difference? Well, because they became these magistrate guys. They became these scholars. They became these basically university teachers that, that knew these things. And so Babylon... And action. Where was I? Persia. Okay, so Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach were, were um, exiled to Babylon, became these magi, became these teachers, became these people that, that talked about these things. Okay, so now my point was, Babylon and ancient cultures like that were very open to everything else coming in. They were bringing people in from all parts of the world, and they wanted to learn that culture, and they wanted to see, can we adopt any of this into our own culture? Shadrach, Meshach, and Daniel brought in this idea of the living God. And they were like, hmm, interesting. Let's talk more about that. Let's learn more about that. That's part of, I think, why God brought people around, his people around to different parts of the world. But be that as it may, Scripture tells us very clearly that when the Messiah is going to be born, there's going to be a star that's going to represent him. It's going to tell the world that he is born. So when these astronomers, when these scholars saw that star, they said, hey, wait a second. Wasn't there something that we heard about, you know, like about 600 years ago about uh, some Messiah being born at this time? Well, let's go and let's check this out. Let's go and figure this out. So they start out, right? They start out going and they start, they come into Bethlehem or they come into Jerusalem because that's where they're, they're at. They said, well, you know, we were told this was the king of the Jews. The star was going to represent the king of the Jews. Tell us if that Messiah, the king of the Jews, is going to be born. So let's go to the Jewish people because they must be celebrating. They must be having this really huge party. They must have this thing, these things going on. So they go to Jerusalem. And they start, you know, talking to people on the street. Hey, man, hey, oh, we want to go and, and visit the king of the Jews that, that was born a while ago. Can you tell us how to get there? And the people are like, what are you even talking about? Where, where are we going here? What, what's going on here? So they talk about, they, they go on this, on this trek. And they, they go to try to find him, to, find, to follow him. Um, and, you know, when they did find him, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to back up a little bit. When they did find him, it likely impacted their lives for literally for the rest of their lives. So, okay, so who are the magistrates? One more time. The magi, uh, short for magistrates. Um, I want to just point this out because, again, we have a hymn that kind of go, goes at this. But these guys are not kings. I know we have a song that's called We Three Kings, and it's okay to sing that. I'm not saying we got to rip that page out of our hymnal or anything like that. These guys are not kings. And it's more important for us to understand that. And I'm not just saying, you know, throwing a flag on that. It's way more important than that. What these guys are are not kings. These guys are king makers. <clears throat> these guys are king makers so the same way samuel anointed david king david the same way samuel anointed saul these guys anointed kings the new kings 
So when they came into Jerusalem and they started asking questions like this, people freaked out a little bit. And then all of a sudden Herod finds out about it. And they, he said, well, wait a second. He knew exactly who these people were. He knew who these guys were. And he's like, wait a second. What do you mean you're here to anoint a new king? I, this doesn't make any sense. And I want to know more about it, right? He says, I want to understand where it is that you go and where, where, um, where you're coming from and what you're doing. So again, these unlikely people, these guys from the east, these unlikely people were coming to seek out the Messiah, knowing full well who he was, the Messiah, Jesus, right? They wanted to worship him. They wanted to go on and they wanted to worship him. So then, okay, I say this is about the gospel, right? How does the gospel message fit into this? Well, what is the gospel message, right? What does our Star Trek look like? You know, if we're following that star, and what exactly does it involve? There's some steps involved to it. Number one, the step, first step of the Magi involves focus. Look what the Magi said and they asked. Look back at verse 2 again. They asked people, where is the child who has been born to be king of the Jews? We saw the star that shows he was born. We saw it rise in the sky and in the east and have come to worship him. So we see here first that that focus has two parts, right? Finding and worshiping. We're looking for him. We want to worship him when we get there. Imagine that focus, that single-mindedness, uh, that, that trek. That um, I've read a lot on this about how long that, that journey took, that trek took. It's a minimum of four months for them to get that many people from point A to point B. Other people said it was probably more than a year. So they took that much time out of their lives to go and follow this star, which they knew was going to point to something. But again, no ordinary star. This is a star that was told about from ages past, promising this king. So in point of fact, you know, the, the birth of the Messiah wasn't hidden, right? It was out, right out there for everyone to see. God hung a huge star in the heavens that rang out, here is my son, are you interested? And yet the only ones who actually found Jesus, the only ones that actually were looking for him, were the ones that were focused on, that, on God and his big news. My question maybe for us this morning, one of the questions is anyway, how often do we miss God's big news because we're just too busy doing other stuff? So the first step involves that focus, that single-minded focus. Step two on our trek to the king and the path of the Magi, the Magi followed, involves following, right? Focus and following. So Jesus is maybe, let's just, for argument's sake, close to two years old at this point in history. So the Magi, Magi are late to the party, but they're coming to the party. They're, they showed up to the party. Here comes the Magi. They stop in Jerusalem. They ask for directions. Because again, in their mind, surely these people know what's going on. They know where the Messiah is, so they start asking questions back in verse 2. Like, where is this king of the Jews that's born? And people are like, wait, what is going on here? They don't have a clue what they're talking about, A. And B, this whole entourage, this whole caravan is starting to freak us out a little bit, and we don't know what you're talking about. So Herod, Herod drags out the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and asks them where the, or where the Messiah is supposed to be born. Right? And I've heard a couple of different things taught about this, and you know, I don't know how this scene went. One of the scenes, one of the, one of the guys heard, I heard talking about it said, you know, they didn't know. They had to spread out the Old Testament and, and you, okay, you take Numbers and you take Deuteronomy and you take Leviticus and if anybody finds anything, let us know. I don't think it went that way. I think they full well knew uh, what Micah said, that, that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. I think they full knew that. I think they kind of just snapped the answer back at him. He's going to be born, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Well, these guys here are here to find him. They said that there's a star. You know, they, they didn't go any farther than that. And the thing is this. Um, Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem. Six miles. How far away is Gillette? 
How far is Stiles? Yeah, okay, so it's not very far away, right? Six miles. This entourage comes into town saying this is what we've learned and this is what we've seen and this is what we observed and we want to go find him. And nobody said, I'm going too. Nobody said, we've got to see this for ourselves. And it's not like Herod is confused here. You know, you can look at verse 4 in your bulletin. He says, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They said, we know exactly where he's supposed to be born. The Magi knew what was waiting for them, so they pressed on. It's John 1.11 that says, he came, the Messiah came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him, his own didn't recognize him. Maybe we can parenthetically say his own didn't care. So the third step on our trek to the king is this, and involves that finding. Involves finding him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will search for me, and when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Some people have never found Jesus. There's a couple reasons. Because they're looking in all the wrong places. Looking in all the wrong ways. Here it is, six miles we won't even cross the street. They won't even cross the street to go find him. So the best we could say about the people in Jerusalem is they're apathetic. We could say maybe other things about it too, but at, least, at the very least, they're apathetic. They essentially ignored the news of the Messiah. Didn't have time, weren't interested. High priests, oh, no, no, we got to go sacrifice a couple more things here. You, good luck on your journey, though. Or maybe it's like Herod's reaction. Herod's reaction was he thought it was he saw it as a threat to his lifestyle. He saw, saw it as a threat to himself. Because the Magi, though, demonstrate the reaction that we should all have to Jesus. Right? They recognize him. They have that reaction. First part of verse 11, I said we're going to come back to this. They entered the house, right? The house. Saw the child, young man, young boy, with his mother, Mary. And, wait, and what? They bowed down. And worshipped him. Fell down on their faces in in, um, humility, devotion, adoration, reverence. But falling down before the king is only the start. To some that's a stumbling block and we can't even get past it. But when we focus on, but when we are focused on finding and following Jesus... Star Trek words might come into play for us. Shatner says to seek out new life, to seek out a new life. To boldly go where no one or all too few have gone before. To choose to go to him. After they visit the child in the house, the wise men, magi, slip away. So Herod can't find them, won't find the baby. Herod loses his mind right, and acts like an earthly king who's only interested in his own security, his own interests. But in the midst of all of that, Matthew applies truth to that situation. Because at the same time, there's good news, and there's that biblical hope that we talk about. Because a new king has been born. Not only a new king, but a new kind of king has been born. A king who will will conquer death, not cause it. A king who will heal us, not 
hurt us. A king who will not exploit others for his own purpose, but would pour himself out for us, for his people. Just a couple churchy words. A king who will reconcile himself to us and to each other. So in this narrative of the, of the Magi, the wise men, Herod doesn't get the last word. The new king gets the last word. This is the cradle, this is the manger that rocked the world. And these guys came from halfway across the world to experience it. It took them a while to get there. And when they got there, their mouths were hanging open that nobody knew what they were talking about. Because what they were talking about is a Savior has been born. A Savior who has been born who is given himself up to save us again from our sin. To save us from our rebellion, from that creator. And now we are reconciled back to our God, our creator. The Messiah is a gift for all who will receive him. Who all will seek him. To all who will follow him. So that's what I'm going to wrap it up with. I've got a lot more, but I'm going to wrap it up here. Fall on your knees today. When's the last time you've been face down on the floor praying to him? When's the last time you were single-mindedly focused on finding him? Single-minded focused on following him? And worshiping? And the big thing is offering yourself to him. Stand with me, please.